chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. Welcome back to the Enzones Podcast, guys. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And last week, no, not last week. It was just a few days ago. Just a few days ago, we were at the boot camp event for Renaissance Heart where we got to meet a bunch of you, which is actually a really fun experience and totally encouraging because 90% of the time, our work is behind computer screens and sitting alone in podcast studios and trying to like picture people's faces like assume that numbers mean that Micah is listening and Isaac is listening and Dalton is listening and like Sam, Josh, Jonathan, Toby, Dan, Luke, like there's people out there. You're real. And we wanted to like reflect on some of the, some of the themes from that, but also you were just mentioning, and we already had a conversation this morning as we sat around as a team, we actually pray for uh, three days after the event together as a team each morning. And then today was the last day we did that. And then we were reflecting on just how hard it is to hold on to things. Oh yeah. I think the theme would be how do you enjoy your life more? How do you love your life with God more, especially because most of us are here because we've had some dramatic encounter with the power of Jesus. We've seen how worthwhile and magnificent he is. And then we're just brought right back down into the everyday BS and the conversation this morning was a group of us who were at the event praying around a table, then looking at each other going, that was three days ago when we saw Jesus at his best. It was absolutely remarkable. But Sunday morning, I'm waking up, I'm with 450 men in the mountains of Colorado, seeing truly miracles take place, seeing unbelievable rescues, spiritual, physical, whole person take place. Sunday night, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm exhausted. I'm lying on the wood floor next to my daughter's crib, trying to get her to fall asleep uh, again. And most of the drama of the morning it's just gone. Yeah. We actually haven't even pulled out of camp before I've begun to forget everyone's face. Like it was wild. Um, we've gathered up in a circle. Everything's packed, praying over our drive out. And I'm like walking back to get into a car and almost all of the stories are already being stolen, obscured, fading into the background. And there was this like, uh, 
agreements to be like, well, now we get back to normal life. Now we get back to grocery budgets and running errands and kids waking up at three in the morning. And like, it is, it is so hard to hold on to. And that's actually ended up being a lot of what the, the questions were during the event. We had a couple of times of sitting around and doing some Q and a, and a lot like massive theme for young guys, which I thought was interesting because we just done a podcast on it was friendship relationships. If you're going after your heart and if you're getting these pieces back, it's really hard to walk alone and it's really hard to live in the decades to truly go, yeah, I'm just going to fix my eyes on the far horizon when my reality is that the days are very long and the years are very short. And that's just like, I get it. I have so much so much sympathy because we show these movie clips and we watch these, these things that are smelling salts for us to be like, ah, that's the story. That's what's going on. This is what's true. This is what matters. That's why I love reading certain books and watching certain films, but it would be so much simpler if it actually life was that because it's just bam, 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 obvious, obvious, obvious. Like there just are very few films that are about the tedium or if they are about the tedium, they're about getting away from it. And so it's like, whoa, welcome back to what can feel like, who's, who's, who's the quote? Who's, who's, that's the line, the long and sustained assault. assault. Like that's just, welcome back to it. Frick. Yes. How do I hold on to the good things in my life with God? One of the problems is there is a real human inclination to forget wonderful things that have happened. And even uh, and when I say human, I go, I don't even know how many studies uh, have been done on risk aversion and uh, loss fixation, same thing. But where, you know, if I were to go, Hey, right now, if you walk a hundred yards to the right, there is a new car and it's at a great price in every way it's attainable and it's better. It, your life will be better than the one you have. Um, but if you walk, if you don't walk a hundred yards to the left, you will lose the car you already have. Most, the overwhelming majority of people most of the time will would rather not lose the old car than get the new car. It's just this basic thing of we're more afraid of losing than we are hopeful of having. And it's really interesting when I get back into my life and I just begin to go, wow, I suddenly am thrust back into an environment where I could be motivated by fear right away again. And I could, and I remember researching for dad once going, Hey, uh, the brain is wonderfully designed to learn. And C.S. Lewis goes, reality is a difficult teacher, but you learn, my God, you learn. And if you 
you know, put your hand in a fire and it gets burned, your brain will never let that happen again. More so, whereas if you eat a mediocre apple and it's just okay, it's not very important for your whole person to remember that apple. And so people have said, you know, uh, unkind things that are said to you, your brain will grab um, anywhere between four and 10 times the power of memory. Your brain will go, that person said I was worthless. I have to make sure that never happens again, but you're in the mountains and Jesus speaks to you, calls you his chosen friend and go without regular meditation on that reality, you actually, you literally will not remember it. And so, uh, we just have to say the default is entropy. The default when I come back is without regular intentional actions, I will forget the story that I'm living in and I will forget the things that God has done. And so what do you do to anchor yourself to the story that God is telling? Right. Um, journaling actually fell off the radar for me for a long time. Like it was something I did for years and years pretty regularly. Um, but I think like sometime after graduating from college, I just like let it go. Felt like I was pretty good at processing internally or externally. And so I didn't need it. Um, and I've found myself picking up the journal again, um, as a means to this end, because if I just think the thought internally or voice the thought externally, um, good or bad, it's life expectancy I found is really short. Like even if it's a really good thing, if it's a beautiful memory or like a hard lesson, just yes, there's been plenty of research done on gratitude and on remembering things and journaling and the impact of that. I don't actually really care. I care if it works. And for me, like I, I just honestly, it's been in the last two or three weeks. Um, I don't know why we seem to give these away a lot, but like I just have a lot of journals because they're things that people give you when they don't know what else to give you. They're like, Oh, here you, uh, <clears throat> have one of these. You're like, thank you for those pieces of paper. Um, but it meant that I had a blank one. And so I began doing this. I like, I wrote out the things that I feel like have been thematic for this season as a means of remembering and like, okay, this is what's been going on. This is good. This is hard. This is something I wish hadn't happened. And then I began to like actually go further down the rabbit holes. Um, I have a couple of like mental escape fantasies when life, when the grind feels like it's just stupid. Like, why am I working my butt off to be stressed about money to be trying to find a spare fridge to put in my garage, which is chaos to like what just continue that. Um, and I'd be like, I know the answer is to bail out, sell everything buy a sailboat and disappear. Right. Or a sprinter van or whatever. Um, it's been different things at different stages and I actually like found myself going, okay, if you feel like that's the answer, which I know that, you know, it isn't, but I don't know that you actually know that, Sam. 
and it's your way of, it's the, it's the short thing that I throw myself to get out of the like, oh wow, the day to day is really hard. Maybe I'll imagine myself on a sailboat. It was, I'm journaling, write out what that actually would look like. And that was kind of scary because then it made me name all of the ways I think it would be. And then I got to look at it and respond to it and go, okay, does it actually sound like the answer? What are the, what are all the things that you think would be hard? Like loneliness. Do you think like it would be fulfilling and all of this? And actually like it, it was like, oh my gosh, it was so surprisingly helpful. Um, and I think I would do it for a number of things, but it, it's like a, if it feels like the answer, I'd be really tempted to journal it. And one of my other answers is, I've said this a lot, but I'm like fairly convinced that contentment is just on the other side of like a very rigorous schedule for my day. I'm so convinced it's over there because I just can't seem to get over there. <laughs> um, but I wrote it down. I'm like, this is what it, like a flow would look like. And I found myself in this flow, this schedule. It was sort of deteriorating by about 11 o'clock in the morning. It was like, okay, I would do this when I first get up and then I'd be, you know, I'd go for a run, make breakfast. I get to work. I have some time to write and journal and think, be creative and then enter into my work day. And I'm like, that's it. That's like, you think the key to happiness is a better regimented three hours to start your day. That actually isn't impossible. And it also named how small it was. It was like, oh, these things, whether it's a sailboat or a schedule, when journaled, when like removed from my brain and put on the outside of my body, I think it was, a, I was able to be like, oh, those, those may not be the keys that I think they are. And if they're not, then what is? And it, it's back to like <laughs> Morgan this morning wanted to put an Ebenezer in the parking lot of like 12 giant boulders that we have to crawl over just to get in the outpost to be like, remember what you do. Remember what you did. Remember what God did. I know you've already forgotten and it's been three days, four days. We're like, yes, we have already forgotten. Yeah. One of the, it's really, it's so helpful. One of the things that stands out in the stones in the parking lot and the journaling is the really interesting theme uh, in the Bible of the public reading of the story. And it happens over and over again. It's something that Paul says to not forget to do. And it's when, the you know, classically when Ezra and Nehemiah are doing their thing and rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. They read the story and then people start to feel depressed because they realize they like recognize how far they've drifted from the ideal. And so they hit the brakes and go, we're going to just throw a week long party. <laughs> uh, and it's a better reaction to shame, right? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> to go, they're like, no, no, no. That what the story tells you is that God is wonderful. If he's wonderful, right. there's hope for your story and hope for the world. Therefore, seeing God's heart should make you celebrate. Seeing God's heart should not like predominantly make you feel ashamed. Um, but to go, here's something that we are practicing doing is even on 
a great vacation, we will make a real effort to get the people involved, as many as possible, back together two to three weeks later and retell and just tell the story. It's coming to, we're in the middle of hunting season here in Colorado, but we're already scheduling with a few hunters the end of elk season roundup where we're going to get around a fire together, hand out some cigars, and the different guys are going to talk about their hunts and talk about hunting as a vessel to communicate lessons about life. And what did you learn this year? What did God show you? And then just tell me about the drama. The, the public rehearsal is actually super vital. And public meaning um, you and God in your journal would be, listen, when you're on starvation rations, you can survive on starvation rations. And it has also looked like, or it can look like you and one friend or your spouse, like grabbing a few minutes to tell the stories. Uh, and, you know, because part of my fear is the glory fading, where when I got back and I shared some of the stories of the event with Emily, I could not get through most of them without crying mm. because they were so poignant. Mm -hmm. And yet last night, sharing some stories with a dear friend, uh, and I just felt, I, and I, and it just felt like a story I was telling. And I right. went, maybe this is because I'm having to, you know, obscure g details for confidentiality's sake. But I went, no, that's that everything is happening where. I, I am a little further away from the story and I don't know what to do about that besides go, I'm meant to regularly encounter God. I'm meant to both remember the story and I'm meant to encounter Jesus again. I was so struck by the fact that like past, present, future, these, these experiences and projections and memories, um, it's really tricky to navigate well because one of our big uh, unspoken calls is like be in the present moment. Morgan's piece of my children live in the present. I'm constantly living in the past and the future. Um, come back to what's happening around you. The reason most of us have left what's going on around us is it's so mundane or painful or seeming to not embody all the hope. Susie and I can actually really look forward to time together in the holidays and put a lot of hope in it of good conversations and connection and almost always end up feeling a little bit let down. And so there's this piece of me that goes like, okay, the present is so important to be in, not just kicking myself out of. The future is important to be hoped for. But if I I'm only living in the present or hoping for the future. I'm just skipping across things, whether it's a great elk hunt or a great encounter with God. And like I, there's no cup, there's no reservoir. I need to get onto the next thing in order to have feeling in order to have experience. And the, the memory of the thing has been lost. I know dad has talked about memory being part of the gift of like going back sitting with it because things pass way too quickly, especially the good things. Like, why is that the case? Why I am, 
I'm thinking of a particular memory from this summer where Susie and I are sitting at the pool. We've just gotten back from a very rough camping trip and there is more joy sitting at the side of the pool for two hours than there was in this entire weekend. And then the two hours were gone in a flash, but I've gone back to that moment in my head over and over and over again, so much so that the actual experience is probably 10% of that moment and 90% of it is me reflecting on it, sitting back in it, remembering the, the way the sun felt, the heat of the day, the relief of being somewhere comfortable and safe, the joy of the beers we were sharing, the joy of the kids being out of the car. And it's like, I'm back, I'm back in that moment. And it could actually have a little bit of grief to it because it left so quickly. And maybe that's why we don't like remembering or sitting with things like that. But thinking about it today in our twenties and thirties and teens, like the present does feel like it's in the way. And a lot of the questions that we got over this weekend, like really good conversations, really good questions. And there seems to be this thing that happens over time where you, you slow down in the present enough that like you recognize it's a good thing. But I had like 22 year old me, the present was in the way because I did not yet have the friends. I did not yet have the growth. I did not yet have some of the answers. And so I wanted to be spinning my wheels more to be like, okay, so if this is a decade of growth and exploration, like let's get that, let's do that. If a really good friend is 10 years away, like let's, let's begin doing that. But that's a long time to be lonely. That's a long time to be waiting. And so of course I want to protect myself 10 years into the future. And of course I'm already forgetting the gifts that God had for me today. Huge, huge. I'm just going to keep saying the theme of this podcast so that all the way through you'll get it by the end, which is actually a, an illustration of the point of this podcast, which is if you do not do anything, you will have a hard time holding on to good things. Uh, the things in your life that you love are sustained through your engagement with them. It's not because goodness is flawed in some way. It's because goodness is uh, relational. It just is relational. It exists in your participation. Um, and it's what you that thing you said is so helpful coming down off the epic the everyday it is a really good chance to evaluate what i believe about everyday life and you know the event we talked again about warfare and agreements and the fact that there are only ever two stories being told there's the story jesus is telling the human race about himself uh, his nature his accessibility and its, and its implications for humanity. And we can agree with that story. And there is the story that the evil one aligned with human sin is telling uh, a set of accusations about God's heart and the consequences of that for us. And so we are either agreeing with Jesus or we are agreeing with our enemy. And when I get back and I said in the guys that, there was a problem with my sprinkler system. So I had to pull it um, 
you know, I, I pulled half of it out of the ground to diagnose where am I losing pressure? Where's the crack or, you know, that some fitting wasn't uh, attached properly? Find it. But now half of my sprinkler system on, on the main chunk of my lawn has been lying on the grass for two months. <laughs> and I pull oh, yeah. up to my house and I see it and I have this, here we go again. Mm. And it goes, wait, 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 what do I mean? Here we go again. Like, do I believe that my life at home is one thing after another? Or do I believe that life at home is hard or life at home is chores or the everyday is just a grind and go, all of those would be agreements with the kingdom of darkness that I could renounce. One of the things we think of manna, right? The great, what is it? The provision of bread to Israel wandering in the desert that uh, gets reflected upon in the Lord's prayer, which is heavily covered with the religious spirit. And maybe sometime we'll just talk about it to go. Um, I would like, as with other things, most people to lose the Lord's prayer for a long time and then discover it kind of like Josiah finding the book of the law and going like, this is amazing. Oh, but there's so much religious drapery. It's hard to get to. But the one we can talk about is give us this day our daily bread on time provision, day, neither riches nor poverty, on time provision. And I think one of the things with manna is, you know, they're, they're told don't hoard it. It will spoil if you try to. And you go, yeah, you hoard it because you don't believe Jesus will come through tomorrow. Right. And so every single day there is the question of, um, do I believe this is normal? Do I believe that God's rescue is normal? And one thing that I've tacked on to my daily prayer in the morning, I'm trying it out, tell you how it goes, is I believe you can do it again today. Mm. I believe on purpose uh, that you can do it again today. What, you know, dad had this little aside when we were hunting or maybe scouting. Anyway, we're in the woods. And he, he said, most people think belief is an act of the intellect it's actually an act of the will. And that was like, wow, mind blown in the Aspen trees. Uh, <laughs> but go, whoa, if belief isn't an act of the will and I can go, I'm making agreements about my everyday life and how hard it is and how banal it is and I lose vision and just go, again, how about a daily practice that was going, I believe the manna will show up today. I believe you can fill today. Yeah, back to your sprinklers though. You know it's going to like be 18 degrees tonight. Yeah. So I'm borrowing an air compressor and I'm going to going to take care of my sprinklers, but it's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Uh daily belief that it's going to come through. It's good. I can, it's a, it's like a freaking endurance sport. It's like, I'd rather take up ultra running because that feels more doable than take up. Yeah. I'm going to be like fine and be able to believe every day. That feels harder. Here's an interesting observation that I think applies to this conversation. Um, you know, when I was in high school and some people would go to Christian camps, they'd talk about the camp high and be like, I'm losing the camp high. It was so amazing. 
different cultures describe happiness in different ways. Yeah, we talked about that. Right? Serotonin versus endorphins and uh, mm. how if you describe happiness as pleasure, uh, there's actually like a chemical difference. Endorphins versus happiness as wellness. Right. Serotonin. Um, and it kind of is interesting to go, there are, there are different levels to enjoying your life and they are all good and you want as many of them as possible. And so to go, um, we talked about this in the feasting and fasting podcast room. And if you, if you try to stay on the feasting high, um, it, it fizzles out over time. Uh, but if you like embrace feasting, fasting rhythms, you, you get both the feasting high and you get the wellness high that unfolds over time. And so if you, you have this incredible encounter with God and you're like, oh, it's starting to fade, um, no agreements with that's over. Only the encouragement that goes, yep, that is what God is like. And in the different ways that you experience him, you experience different qualities of passion in your story, some of which have to do with uh, breakthrough and some of which have to do with, wow, uh, uh, faithfulness. Like there is a kind of, you know, there's the joy of a friendship that's lasted a new friend. There's the joy of a friendship that's lasted a year. There's the joy of a friendship that's lasted 10 years. And I really do think that each of those is a good, different experience mm -hmm. of um, loving the story that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. But a big piece for the, for me in all of this is like, there's a rhythm to seasons. There's a rhythm to years. And I think I and we can save ourselves a lot of pain if we're willing to enter into what those seasons are. If we would demand that's always the high, that's always the next adventure. That's always the next like Peter on the mountain as Jesus is interacting with what Mo Moses and Elijah. And he's like, we should build a tent here. We will like build homes. This is great. We're going to stay here. This is a holy cow. And like, that's basically everyone's reaction to really wonderful encounters with God. And a lot of them actually do for whatever reason happen on mountains and in nature and in these places of like, I don't want to leave. I don't, why would I go back? Why would I go back to figuring out where my dinner is going to come from? or who needs to take care of this errand. Like and I found I can save myself a whole lot of pain, even if it's a short season, even if it's like just a couple of days of, yeah, this can feel like the mundane. Do I actually believe that God's not there? Do I actually believe that it's just something to be got through and the tragedy of my life? If I live like that, if I live like, the day with my kids tomorrow as my wife works all day long is just an obstacle to get me to the weekend. Like I'm going to miss a lot. And it's back to that. Like the present can be really tough because it's slow and sometimes not, <laughs> not the joy of like, uh, immediate and obvious interaction with God and the movement of the Holy spirit. Like, that's great. I love those. Those are really fun. And I like people coming up and saying how much they enjoy something that I do. Like that's really helpful because 
you know, most of the time I just have your face to go off of. And I realize that you're constantly having your mind blown and you're like, wow, Sam, it's just afterwards, afterwards you're like, that's yeah. so wise. Somebody should kind of glory. I know. But like there, yeah. I think it's that question for me of like, what am I going to do with that space? And what are the things that I'm going to do to both, <clears throat> to both remember what happened? Cause I know that I won't, if I don't do something and to do something, to enter into this day and not be just projecting myself into the future where I think things are going to be better. Like it's tough. Oh my gosh. How many books and self-help things and conferences are like all built around trying to solve that riddle? Oh man. All of them on some level. I'm just laughing myself here going, write it down and then read it with people. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm fully willing to be like the crazy guy from Memento where I'm like, I have notes everywhere on my bathroom sink, in the kitchen, on my dashboard, all over my office. Cause I'm going to forget every 30 seconds. One other thing that I would add here, because we're talking about remembering, holding on to your life with God, continuing to enjoy God. And we're, and we're talking about the heart as the epicenter of reality. Like, how do you not lose heart? And a really interesting thought experiment <laughs> to spend some time thinking about is, what would the person's life look like who really believed his or her heart were the was were subjunctive was the epicenter of reality. If I believed my heart was the center of God's restoration project, how would I live? And um, here's why that's helpful. If I thought that, and I was like sort of looking at my life, we've talked. I don't know if we've can't remember if we've podcasted about this yet, but we've talked recently about the metaphor of tending and gardening and go. Yeah, a lot of things when it comes to letting things grow up in your being, what you can do is you can remove <laughs> destructive things and you can create the kind of environment in which good things like to grow. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because you can't, there's no immediate action that makes a plant, a kale plant come up. Kale's not a good example. That stuff grows everywhere. That makes tomatoes come up. Um, but like, you know, if there's like a worm on your tomato plant, you can immediately take that out. So if you, if you wanted to hold on to what God was doing, um, one thing is you really could look at your life and go like on a day to day basis, um, you could be willing to take out things that were, you know, were opposed to the life of your heart. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about that, that one more phone call, that one more meeting with that person, um, that one more five emails to get off before the end of the workday. You know, you could look at things and go, I just did this. Um, I literally right before this podcast, Cancel the dinner tonight that I am looking forward to. I just moved it back a couple of weeks simply with a, um, you know what? I think a little more space would actually be helpful for me, for me to not forget so quickly. The flip side is, um, I was asking a friend recently about what his life with God would look like if he started with joy, because it can sound like such a corrective, right? Like say your prayers, journal your journal. Like, and I can hear it as... Uh, you know, you suck at a life with God, Blaine. But it can go, what would, you, what would a life with God look like that you really loved? Go in the direction of desire. And he described, man, I would, I'd get up early. I would 
actually, I'd go exercise for a while. And then since I work quite a ways from my house, I'd head up that way and I'd swing by one of my favorite coffee shops and I'd journal and spend time with God. And then I'd go to work and he goes, you know, then I'd be spending, you know, just so much money a week at a coffee shop. And it was kind of a funny moment of, and if, if that really sounds like the direction of desire and that's where, and that's what you would, a life with God that you would love. It's kind of like, bro, a daily coffee is super cheap for the life of your heart for a season. Uh, this isn't like the way to access God, but if, when the joy is there and you believed your heart was the epicenter of reality, there's an extent to which you would align your resources with it. Right. Like you're not going to be pursuing God for long if it doesn't something, if it's not something that you like doing, <laughs> if it's, if it's forced, if it's, Oh, all of like the Bible studies that I've been a part of where I'm like, I dread it every single time, every single time. And like God can move and show up and it's good. So, you know, if that happens, but it's not my go-to, it's not sustainable. It's not like when there's a pause in a season, I'm not rushing back to that. There's just something else that's going to fill that void. Probably Netflix. So the invitation, what's the invitation? Fresh off this event, fresh off stories, fresh off the mountain, fresh off the highs of tangible stories. I'm going to, I'm, I'm just, we may not be putting boulders up in the parking lot, but we need to be doing something. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, I think I'm going to just put a note on my bathroom mirror that says, remember not to make agreements about your everyday life so that many times a day I get to see this thing when, because it stacks up when there's some family need and house need and church need and work need. And it just, and I feel the overwhelmed, strapped uh, can look and go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. What am I believing? Do I believe that this actually has a role in an epic story? <laughs> or am I just going, forget it. Life is just hard. I think that for me in this one, regularly breaking agreements for a while about my everyday life is going to be most helpful. What are you going to do? I'm going to keep up with this journaling thing as a rhythm. And I like the note idea. I mean, we've kind of let that one go by the wayside. Something I found myself doing a lot is comparing how I am feeling in this moment about reality and myself and how much life, passion, attention, meaning the moment seems to have and laying a different moment where things felt more clear on top of it and go like, what happened? What's the difference? Why does this moment feel less important than one from a week ago or two years ago? Why, why did it feel so easy to be stoking the fires of passion for the day and for Jesus when we were in Wales, but it's really hard to give a crap about anything on an average Wednesday. Like sometimes laying that on the top for me is helpful and go, no, I want that. I want, let's, let's live like that for the rest of the afternoon. Mm -hmm.